Session 82 of the Law of One. This is the first part where we're going to dive into the one original thought. Let's begin. This session has me really excited because if you remember from the last one, we finally got back to talking on cosmology, on the universe, and this is one of the things that attracted me so much to the law of one. And when I revisit it, I have like a very soft spot in my heart. Um, some of you may know that I was a nerd in terms of learning about the stars, galaxies, the universe in general, and all the space or cosmic phenomenon that existed. And so for decades, really, I, I love to read about these things and learn more and the new discoveries and so on. So. When I got into the Law of One and saw that there was so much material, especially because Don was a scientist, and the information, and but not just because Don, but because Ra gave us uh, very quality information about uh, the the universe in general, at least in, in terms of physics and relating it to spirituality or simply consciousness, which is amazing. So we're going back to some of that uh, conversation that we started in the last session, so that's why I'm excited. However, we're going to talk about the great, uh, the one original thought, okay? And yes, um, I'm excited to talk about that too. There's a little bit of um, personal, let's say, personal work or uh, the adept, so we're going to cover that too, of course. That's a question that wasn't included in the first books. And it's in book five, so it's one of the first questions. So without further ado, let's begin with this fascinating session. I got my tea right here. So if I make some pauses, I notice that I tend to speak fast and very little pauses in between. So that's why I have tea. brings that silence in between words. Let's begin. First question that we have is Don, as usually, or as usual saying, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? Ross says it is as previously stated. I just wanted to include it. So there's not much to say there. Don says in question two, is there anything at all that we could do that we are not doing to, besides eliminating the contact, <laughs> good, good that he uh, remember that, to increase the physical energy of the instrument. So is there anything we can do to uh, revitalize Carla? Ross says, there is the possibility, probability that the whirling of the water with spine erect would alter somewhat the distortion towards what you call pain which this entity experiences in the dorsal region on a continuous level. 
This in turn could aid in the distortion towards increase of physical energy to some extent. So again, um, historically so, Carla was uh, affected physically a lot. I think I've said this so many times that it's just a given at this point, so you know that. Uh, the interesting point, I guess, here is to see that um, you know not everything has to be some uh, some mental work. There is some physical work that you can do, right? And that that's some sort of therapy, you know, taking care of yourself somehow. So the whirling of the water is, I guess, like a whirlpool. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, I don't know what what is in English, but yeah, just uh, like jacuzzi or something, one of those bathtubs that have some sort of pressure with water, and that's a that's a nice therapy, I guess. I could use some of that myself because I have pain in my dorsal region as well, on a continuous level, so. I could, I could use one of those, but I don't have one. So that's it. I don't think I have anything to say here. Let's go into question three. Question three, Don says, Jim has a personal question, which is not to be published. He asks, it seems that my balancing work has shifted from more peripheral concerns, such as patience in patience, to learning to open myself in unconditional love to accepting myself as whole and perfect, and then to accepting myself as the creator. In this, rather, if this is a normal progression of focus for balancing, wouldn't it be more efficient, once this is discovered, for a person to work on the acceptance of self as creator, rather than work peripherally on the secondary and tertiary results of not accepting the self? Good question. Ross says, the term efficiency has misleading connotations in the context of doing work in the disciplines of the personality in order to be of more full efficiency in the central acceptance of the self, it is first quite necessary to know the distortions of the self which the entity is accepting. Each thought and action needs must then be scrutinized for the precise foundation of the distortions of any reactions. This process shall lead to the more central task of acceptance. However, the architrave, or architrave, not sure how to pronounce that, must be in place before the structure is built. Okay, so <coughs> very useful question and answer here. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the disciplines of the personality. Let's get a refresher on that. Ra has suggested that we um, we learn the disciplines of the personality. That'll be know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. They have said various in various uh, sessions things that are of aid for this process to realize and to know the self as the creator um, and I think Jim is giving a very specific part of his own 
knowing of self and acceptance. The way he describes, okay, in his case, he had to learn a lot of patience in patience, right? That's part of his um, knowledge of himself. He knew that he, he was a very, not very, but he, he used to have anger issues. And even that seems to evoke an image that I don't think it was Jim. Let's just say that in his introspection, he realized that he had anger, right? He wasn't an angry person. Um, so, yeah, everything is magnified when we talk about working the self. <laughs> oh, I have um, discrimination issues. <gasps> wow, you are a bigot or something like that, right? <laughs> it's not like that. We just start realizing that we have things, you know, that there are thoughts in our head that come in emotions. And uh, I can call myself actually somebody who had frustration, you see, frustration with people and life. But I wasn't a frustrated person, you know. I live always in, you know, some sort of harmony. Although I, I didn't deal with things, uh, with my emotions. That's the thing. I I didn't know how to deal with my emotions, so I was frustrated when it came to uh, seeing myself in the mirror. In any case, we're talking about Jim here, and. How do we bore this? So Jim is talking about how how his process, and he gives an example, right? Then he says, well, isn't it better to just focus on the last part of knowing myself as the creator as opposed to just spending so much time in the secondary and tertiary results of not accepting the self? Meaning that what if I can just accept myself? and say, yes, I am the creator. Uh, I am this everything and uh, nothing that happens to me is a problem and everything is an illusion and so on. So is that helpful? Is that a way to accelerate uh, our process of harmonizing the self and not paying attention to the um, these distortions are our own thought patterns, you see? And we tend to have this conflict in our heads, this discussion, this dialogue with, with ourselves. So can we just ignore that, is in essence, uh, what this is attempting to ask, in a way. So Ross says that uh, efficiency has misleading connotations, at least there, in that context. When doing work with the disciplines of the personality uh, to, to get more efficiently at the central acceptance of self, you have to, in essence, um, you have to know these distortions. You have to know why you're having these thoughts. You see, uh, you have to allow them to be, and this is the process of healing. So. Ross suggests each thought and action needs must then be scrutinized for the precise foundation of the distortions of any reactions, right? That that would be to learn why you react the way you do, to bring awareness to it. Uh, this is in my system, the system that I use, the methodology of the direct path, uh, the emotional and 
um, healing system that is observing the self once we have reached that awareness of awareness itself as the basis of our reality then we start to use that in self-inquiry to observe the thoughts this is uh, also called shadow work which is allowing these thought patterns to come to your mind and be able to observe them without getting involved with the mind right not attaching to them and riding along with them but also not rejecting them because those are the two things we do with our mind so we just let them be we allow them to come and be and we observe them we don't do anything that's the key thing here and it's probably why it's difficult for a lot of people because we're so used to doing 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 we have to do something i just became aware that when i was 11 uh, my father did this to me and so how do i heal it well not in my system we don't do anything it's uh, <laughs> uh it reminds me of banke uh, the zen teacher or zen master who was uh criticized by um who was the the rinsai master who criticized him uh, I forgot his name, but he was criticized to be um, too uh, too passive. Um, uh, Hakuin was the the Zen master of the Rinzai school, who kind of said that he jokingly said, "It's a do nothing Zen." That's what Banke does. <laughs> That's exactly my Zen: do nothing, just observe. And yet Banke, of course, is revered now because of his ways of teaching Zen. Whereas uh, Hakuin went through the method of just shock treatment, you know, and very stern discipline, which also works. You know, these things are, are there for a reason, but... Yeah, I'm more of a Banke guy. Just do nothing Zen. <laughs> okay, so um, that's what we do. But we need to allow them, you see, in uh, what Jim is suggesting, like in my method, would be just to ignore the thought patterns and just, oh, they're there, I'm not that, you know, I just go back to the creator. That's the first step I take in the direct path. We, we go and savor this creator. What, what is it that we call the creator inside us? Let's go, let's go find out, you know, let's go check it out. So we get there and we see, oh, this is it. This is who I am. That's awesome. Okay. So do I stay there, Gabe? Uh, no, you don't. You actually, yes, but you don't stay there to ignore reality. That's why in the second part of my methodology, we go back to reality and we start exploring our mind and our situation, family, uh, friends, um, status, whatever it is that makes up our story. So we confront our story in essence and our life. And this is the, um, the return of the self as the creator, or as Ra has suggested in the pyramid work, resurrection. So yeah, you, um, you have to do this. You have to keep known. And like I said, this is something, this is so in, in alignment with, of course, what I do, because my biggest influences have been non-duality and law of one. Um, and Ra being just a non-dual teacher, of course, 
Uh, you see, it's it's perfect because what I say in in my teachings is that this becomes a cycle. This is not something that happens and then you're done. It becomes a cycle in your mind that simply works whenever uh, whenever you bring awareness to it. That's just the cycle. It it like activates this mechanism in you, if I can call it that. It's a um, awareness mechanism that is activated when you start seeing things from the perspective of pure consciousness. You see, so in it's not ignoring step one and two because you reach three. One, two, three become just a package and they all work together. So that's my way to interpret this. Um, and yeah, the the architrave or architrave, not sure how it's pronounced. It's, um, I looked it up and I think for what I can remember is certainly like the, the pillar of, of a doorway, I think, and the central pillar is foundational. It's a foundational part of a structure, uh, of a passageway or a, like a, a doorway. So yeah, that has to be in place before the structure is built. That verb sounds weird, build it. Is it built? Maybe um, UK English? I don't know, but let's move on. Don asks in question four, thank you. I would like to consider the condition at a time or position, you might say, if time is a bad word, just prior to the beginning of this octave of experience. I am assuming that just prior to the beginning of this octave, intelligent infinity had created and already experienced one or more previous octaves. Is this correct? Ross says, you assume correctly. However, the phrase would more informatively read, infinite intelligence had experienced previous octaves. Okay. So, why switch infinite intelligence with intelligent infinity? Um, I should make a search in the whole raw material for infinite intelligence and see more of the patterns here, because I love doing this. But I'm going to dare a interpretation here. But first of all, let's get into context with the question. Don is asking if he is assuming that um, he wants to know more about the previous octave and the system of octaves. And when I say octave here, I'm talking about the uh, the whole creation, the Big Bang. Okay, I often make this distinction because we live in an octave, right? We live in an octave which is the solar system. It's a specific octave that was created for life on Earth. And so there are many octaves. 
within the octave. That's the holographic system of creation. And we're talking about the big one octave in which we reside. The whole universe resides within an octave. So when this universe is no more, everything is collapsed. This one uh, original thought goes back into itself. Then another octave will, uh, will be formed. And yet, that sounds like we're talking about time. And I think that's why Don <laughs> uh, cleverly just said, if time is a bad word, um, because it is, because the, the next octave is already here and the previous octave is already here too. It never ended, it's just here. So it's all simultaneous, but let's not get into that. Don wants to know more about this, the system of octaves, prior and future octaves. But he's talking about the prior octave. And he's first assuming that the creator has experience uh, one or more previous octaves, right? He calls intelligent infinity. Now, Ross says infinite intelligence. I think this distinction has to do with how we um, we describe intelligent infinity here. We have intelligent infinity as um, just that pure intelligent infinity that exists and is infinite and has no qualities whatsoever. And then there is the manifested intelligent infinity which goes into intelligent energy. So I think that's what it refers because you see, what we're doing is switching the words. And you know that Ra loves doing that with learn teaching and teach learning. See, if I'm providing a teaching, then I'm teach learning. If I am receiving a teaching, then I am learn teaching. Uh, same thing with love light and light love. Space time, time space. They refer to the um, the opposite quality of it or the reverse quality of whatever it is that is a function. So infinite intelligence to me is that which is put into motion, is intelligent infinity in motion, although that's intelligent energy, right? But infinite intelligence seems to be part of this system of the the creator experiencing itself, see that portion is infinite intelligence. Because what is what is infinite here is the intelligence. What is intelligent is the infinity in intelligent infinity. So it's a play of words. And I think that's what it refers to. Infinite intelligence is part of this um, creator knowledge of itself, see, which is infinite. Right? But there is an intelligence going there. And that intelligence manifests in infinite ways. So, again, I know it sounds like, um, like a tongue twister at this point, but it's actually a mind twister. But I think that's, that's the difference here. And I think um, I'm tempted to search for, because I know Ra has used infinite intelligence in other context but I think if I look it up I'll find support for my idea here but with that in mind 
let's move on Don says <clears throat> question five does Ra have any knowledge of the number of previous octaves and if so how many Ra says as far as we are aware we are in an infinite creation there is no counting <laughs> this is a very important point I think because with our minds we are naturally inclined to name things first discern them then name them and count them differentiate them and that is <clears throat> the process of limitation right the mind the cosmic mind wants to limit itself because in limitation it can experience itself in more quality see quality of um, particles that's why we reach this point of seeing things as parts so infinite awareness limits itself see the first thing that it uh, that it made available to itself was the concept of finity as Ra explained in session 13 which I mentioned before this uh, discernment of finity allows it to explore itself infinitely because its quality is infinite so it can explore finity in an infinite number of ways so the more finite it is the more quality there is to the experience or so it seems so there is a mechanism for uh, splitting in essence uh, these these perceptions that's what it, that's what it is perceptions are limitations on the infinite awareness that we are look at it that way don't think it's like uh, some imposed limitation like there's a government you know we, we think uh, sometimes we think that way oh there's a limitation who who did this to us which alien race did this to us <laughs> to our dna i find those stories fascinating but not very credible to my uh, to my taste i like to go beyond and all the way back into the beyond we find infinity so yes infinity is doing this all of it there is no other infinity evil infinity doing this <laughs> there is just one infinity and its quality is love so or its expression is love his creation not his its creation is love so yeah this brings up the point of infinite awareness okay um, because we need to come out of this obsessive desire to uh, find infinity in limited quantities that sounds stupid right <laughs> what do we do then why do we do that because we haven't become aware of what we're doing so yeah if we become aware that the mind is simply this mechanism of dividing things of uh, splitting things and looking at one reality as many that's what it is there is only one reality nobody can say oh there are two realities 
No, reality is experienced by awareness, period. Whether you have different experiences um, or one experience, it's always awareness, having the experience of a reality. So reality comes in different flavors. Yeah, we, we look at it differently because that's the point. And so why would there be a limit? Why would there be a beginning and an end to the capacity of experiencing? You see, so what's the beginning of imagination? What's the end of imagination? Well, the beginning of imagination is now and the end is also now. So is there a beginning and an end? No, there's always now. <laughs> That's it. I love this. Let's move on. Don says in question six, that's what I thought you might say. <laughs> Am I correct in assuming that at the beginning of this octave, out of what I would call a void of space, the seeds of an infinite number of galactic systems, such as the Milky Way galaxy, appeared and grew in spiral fashion simultaneously? Ross says, there are duple areas of potential confusion. Firstly, let us say that the basic concept of, I'm sorry, let us say that the basic concept is reasonably well stated. Now we address the confusion. The nature of the simultaneity in such, is such indeed, is such that indeed all is simultaneous. However, in your modes of perception, you would perhaps more properly view the seeding of the creation as that of growth from the center or core outward. The second confusion lies in the term void. We would substitute the noun plenum. Plenum. I love that word. <sighs> this cosmology is gorgeous. All right. So, Don has a very, um, it's a good question, yet it, of course it's limited by the type of language we can use with our minds and that's the, um, in the beginning, you know, there is a, there was a, a center and then it, it, it started to grow uh, gradually we see this we see this with the Sun we see this with the galaxy actually with the Sun it's just one big nebula and um, it just starts coalescing into a star so everything happens at the same time but at least the galaxy uh, spreads out its arms with more stars right so we see this with the galaxy and that's why he's saying he's mentioning the milky way galaxy here um, actually he says the beginning of this octave out of what i would call a void of space the seeds of an infinite number of galactic systems such as the milky way appear and grew in spiral fashion no, yeah, I think he's referring to all galaxies 
growing simultaneously. They appeared and grew simultaneously. Simultaneously. The seeds of an infinite number of galactic systems. So that's the Big Bang, and yet it's not the Big Bang. So Ra says that the basic concepts are reasonably well stated, but there are two areas of confusion. The first one is that the nature of true simultaneity is such that all is simultaneous. But in our modes of perception, we would see uh, the seeding of the creation as that of growth from the center or core outward. Now, I don't know why our modes of perception are specific to seeing the growth this way. Maybe because of light, right? Our reality is made out of light. So maybe that's what they mean. I don't know. The modes of our perception allow us to see that as of growth from the center or core outward. So everything is simultaneous and this can be understood in awareness. Okay. And I'll get to that, but let me cover the second substitution uh, or the second confusion, which is substitution of the word void for plenum. The word plenum is the root of our word for plenty, which is abundance. And I love it because this word void is referred to as that which is prior to the creation, that which is prior to mind, awareness. Sunyata is the void in Buddhism. And it refers to that place in ourselves, which is just awareness. If you look at awareness, if the mind looks back at awareness, which is its nature, right? The mind is simply an activity. But we don't know what this activity is uh, is about, or rather what the nature of this activity is. So what do we do? We investigate the nature of mind. And we find that mind is simply an activity made out of thoughts and images. But the source of this is pure awareness. And we start investigating this. This is what we do again in the direct path. That's why it's called the direct path, actually, because we go straight into the void. And we see that everything there is peaceful. And out of this peace, happiness starts to shine. Although gradually, but it does start to shine. We get those glimpses of happiness in the peace. You see? So that's what we call the void, that awareness. There's nothing there, absolutely nothing, pure awareness. But that is not empty. There is no nothingness there. In fact, Ra said, this is why I love so much doing this work with the mystical teachings of Ra. When Ra said 
than the dissolution into nothingness, right? This is Ra's words. The dissolution into nothingness is the dissolution into unity, for there is no nothingness. How perfect is that for anybody who loves the raw material? The dissolution into nothingness is the dissolution into unity. For there is no nothingness. So that nothingness that you perceive as the source of your mind is in fact unity. Because there is no quality there. There is no distinction. You cannot make, you cannot divide awareness into two. Awareness is just one awareness. You can say you're aware of two different things, two different thoughts. Yes, that's the mind. You see, the mind is that filter into which awareness comes through and splits itself into positive and negative or up and down or inside and outside and so on. So I guess from our modes of perception, we would see this as coming from a sort of center and moving outward. And that's what we call space. That's what we call the universe. We see things out there and they move outwardly, just like we do. Isn't that interesting? We think we are inside. We say, well, I'm this, uh, but are you the skin? No, no, I'm, I'm deeper in, in. Oh, so you're in the heart? Yeah, yeah, no, but deeper than the heart. See, <laughs> if you keep looking where the inside is, uh, you'll find out that you are the singularity. I mean, you truly are the singularity. You can't call yourself anything um, short of that or more than that outward, see? So you are the singularity and everything else is coming out of you. So the universe is growing all around you. <laughs> Why? Because you're aware of it. And awareness is what creates everything. Isn't that simple? See, we don't have to go too deep into esoteric uh, traditions to, to know this. It's a simple recognition. And it is all in awareness. But I like the word plenum. In fact, every time I talk about the void, I reference Ra when they said plenum because it's such a beautiful substitution for what we call nothingness. Let me explain why. Nothingness is what the mind sees when it looks at its source. This makes total sense because the mind can only see different things. It can only see limitations. It can only see parts. And so when it looks at unity, it won't see anything. It can't see anything. Although it is aware that there is an existence there. See, the mind can actually hmm, taste it and say, yes, there is something there, but ah, I just can't put a name to it. And so philosophically, or religiously, we say we cannot name God. We cannot put a name to God. What is God? Well, if we say it, then we sort of limit it. God is not limited. Infinity is not limited. It's not a number. The first thing I learned in mathematics that fascinated me. There's a concept, what, infinity? It's true. I cannot count more than, I remember my brother blowing my mind with this saying, try to count towards infinity. And that, that moment for me was just, 
So that's why we call it plenum, because everything is coming out from there. Everything is in there. Nothing has left there. It's always been there. See, so that's the plenum. The mind perceives a separation and says, oh yeah, yeah, there is a space and there is time. That's the mind. But without the mind, it's just this. Is it terrifying? Nobody has said that. Everybody who this explores this. Although, yes, I must mention, just to be thorough, that some people who have some uh, um, traumatic, I would say, or neurotic mind, the ego gets very um, anxious. And so they identify with this anxiety and say, oh no, that's terrible. There is nothing there, I'm scared. And that's something that we need to take into account when we talk to people. And that's why I don't emphasize this too much, but rather just know the nature of who you are and feel that presence of quiet peace that is experiencing everything. So I've learned that in, in some situations where people get anxious at the thought of nothingness. So that's a... That's a concession we need to do with these people. But most people, when they reach that point, they realize that there is a peace. That's the peace they were looking for. So plenum is an excellent word. And of course, in terms of space, the plenum, because there is no space that became aware. All that we see space is really awareness. So this... Um, this perception of things that are happening in the universe through the mind are born out of this plenum as well. That's what space is. This is also the basis of what we call zero point energy, right? Because space is not empty. Space is full of energy. So if we do the right, which I don't know how it's done, but uh, if we can harness the pressure of space. See, it's almost like the way I see it, the way I understand it is that there is, you know, there is atmospheric pressure, right? That's what we measure. Uh, for example, Venus, the atmospheric pressure is just brutal, brutal, because there is a lot of atmosphere, there's a lot of gas out there, everything was evaporated. So all of that is crushing what's at the surface. We have atmospheric pressure here too, right? And that's that's what's uh, maintaining some sort of um, cohesion in in the atmosphere. So space, imagine that all the energy, infinite energy, has this space pressure, right? And if we are able to, just like in in the atmosphere, right? When we talk about uh, max speed, the, the speed of sound is, when we break that, what we're doing is opening. That's why airplanes can sound, if they're breaking, of course, the sound barrier. What they're doing is that they're slicing air so fast that 
it takes a fraction of a second for air to collapse that vacuum. You see, that's an enormous pressure that happens there. It's just like a clap, a thunderclap, actually. Is that too? It's breaking a sort of fissure on air, and air is collapsing back. So it's a clap. Boom. That's what we call it, thunderclap. Literally just a big clap of air. Now imagine this is happening with space. And if we can do that same thing, then space will collapse towards that center because space wants to continue to be space. It doesn't want to be split. And so that's zero point energy because space is all around us. We don't need atmosphere. We don't need uh, solar panels. We don't need anything. So Tesla discovered this a while ago and uh, some people said, no, we're not ready for this. Um, we are very afraid of energy because survival and countries and communism and so on. <laughs> so, no, maybe we're not ready for it. Anyhow, um, that is also the, the essence of zero point energy. Space is not empty. Let's move on. Don says in question seven, then if I were observing the beginning of the octave and at that time through a telescope, say from this position, would I see the center of many, many galaxies appearing and each of them then spreading outward in a spiral condition over what we would consider billions of years. But the spiral spreading outward in approximately what we would consider the same rate so that all these galaxies begin as the first speck of light at the same time and then spread out in roughly the same rate of spreading. Is this correct? Ra says, the query has confusing elements. There is a center of infinity. From this center, all spreads. Therefore, there are centers to the creation, to the galaxies, to star systems, to planetary systems, and to consciousness. In each case, you may see growth from the center outward. Thus, you may see your query as being overgeneral in concept. So, I love this because if you read Don's question, right, he's just making a thought experiment where he says, uh, imagine I'm just a neutral observer. Like I don't exist in this creation and I'm looking at how the creation formed. So will I see speck of lights that are at the beginning of the galaxy and then growing outwardly, right? That's, he's, he's trying to visualize the creation as a void or a plenum in which light emanates, right? And then we have creation, we have movement, we have space and time. And when you look at what Ra says, it seems to corroborate the same thing, right? So why would Ra says that there are confusing elements here? Because they explain the same thing. They say from this center, all spreads from the center of infinity. Therefore, there are centers to the creation, to the galaxies, to the star system, to planetary systems and to consciousness. I'll come back to this because it's very important. In each case, you may see growth from the center outward. Thus, you may see your query as being over general in concept. And that's what Don said, 
right? He would see a speck of light moving outward in a spiral condition over billions of years. Um, yeah, so what's so different here? Well, I'll attempt an answer. You see, Ra is talking about awareness. Um, intelligent infinity becoming aware. Let's go back to the cosmology of the law of one. So, in the beginning, there was just intelligent infinity. In fact, there wasn't, uh, there was just infinity. Infinity discerned a concept. This concept was infinity. Um, this provided the three primal distortions, which are free will, love, and light. That's what created the universe. But initially, infinity became aware. See, that's the awareness that we're talking about. There needs to be awareness in order to have an experience. Because who else or what else can have experience if not the awareness of experience? And we can test this. Can we have a non-aware experience? In other words, can, can experience be had without awareness? Not possible. Can you have awareness without experience? Yes, you can. You can be aware of awareness. And how does that feel? Well, we, we reach that with the plenum because experience needs to be limited, right? Experience needs, needs to have an object and subject. So it needs to have separation. Whereas awareness doesn't have to have separation, like I said. And that's a key distinction because that brings us to intelligent infinity as the source or its, its quality being awareness. So we explore awareness as intelligent infinity. You see, that's what I think Ra is mentioning here, that the only thing that exists obviously is this infinity, this infinity can only manifest or know things through awareness. Awareness and knowing is the same thing. In our language, they refer to the same thing. How do you know things? Well, you just know it, you're aware of them. And I'm not talking about uh, conceptual knowledge, which is just a series of patterns that we memorize and we kind of adapt in our uh, intellect. I'm talking about simple knowing. How do you know you're alive? Well, I know. Simply know. Look, I am. <laughs> That's it. I am. So it's interesting that Ra says there are centers from this center, from infinity, all spreads. Therefore, there are certain centers to the creation, plural centers to the creation, to the galaxies, right? We're going to step down from the creation to galaxies, to star system, we're going gradually um, downward, the, the hierarchy of creation, to planetary systems, right? That's where we live, and then to consciousness. So consciousness, Ra refers always to consciousness as the awareness of uh, the octave, you see? 
So it's a little confusing sometimes because we don't have words. We don't have a culture that has created a, a language in which this can be explained. So sometimes we can get confused with, oh, so there is no consciousness. At the beginning, there was no consciousness. First, there was galaxies and star systems, and finally, there was consciousness. Yeah, but there was an awareness of all of this, and that is intelligent infinity. That's the creator knowing itself. You see? Now, all of this has happened simultaneously, and I hope I haven't lost you at this point. Um, all of this has happened simultaneously, but the, to make it very simple for you to get it, is to know that you are a vivid example of this. Notice, you are the singularity, pure awareness. Nothing in there, or everything in there, rather. But from the perspective of the mind, there is nothing in there. Then open your eyes, see your thoughts, or become aware of your thoughts. Become aware of movement, mental and physical. Suddenly, the creation is alive. Go back there. Nothing. Go out here. Everything. Everything is contained in there. You see? Keep doing this. This is the center. This is how it moves outward. Everything is doing this because everything is made out of the same awareness. So there is pure awareness and then there is consciousness of things. That's why Ra refers to consciousness as being part of the planetary system, right? Because they go gradually. Creation, galaxy, star system, planetary systems, and to consciousness. Consciousness. Aware uh, mind or conscious minds. That's what it is. So, again, this is my attempt to see why there is such similarity within Don's question and Ra's explanation, but Ra is offering something else. That is the breakdown. Intelligent infinity is awareness. It became aware. So, if intelligent infinity became aware, then of course, um, it became aware of itself and it all happened in a sudden flash moment, the Big Bang, so to speak. It's a, it's a rudimentary way to call it uh, the Big Bang, but we associate ourselves a lot with that. But let's associate ourselves with the next question. Don says in question eight, consider only our Milky Way galaxy. At its beginnings, I will assume that the first was the first occurrence that we could find presently with our physical apparatus? Was the first occurrence the appearance of a star of the nature of our sun? Ross says, in the case of the galactic systems, the first manifestation of the Logos is a cluster of central systems which generate the outward swirling energies producing in their turn further energy centers for the Logos or what you would call stars. So, are these, let, let's read the next question because it's related to it. Don says, are these central original creation a cluster of what we call stars then? Ross says, this is correct. However, the closer to the, shall we say, beginning of the manifestation of the logos, the star is, the more it partakes in the one original thought. And we're gonna get to that soon. So, our cosmology actually is quite accurate in terms of, and I'm talking about our cosmology of science, uh, conventional science as we know it, materialist science. 
Okay, so... What was Don's first question? Was the first occurrence the appearance of a star of the nature of our sun? You see, what is what is a galaxy? Why why do we have galaxies and stars? What's the difference? Well, what's the difference between a star and an atom? It's just a matter of scale, right? There is movement. That's all there is. And there is attraction. Movement and attraction. Isn't that funny? We have movement and attraction. Well, what do we humans do? <laughs> we move and attract things. Um, it's all the same. It's all the same, so beautifully intricate um, and designed so it looks like it's all multiply, multiple things, different things. <laughs> it's like when you go to nature, you see a beautiful, beautiful order. You can't even name why it's, why does it look so, uh, organized. It just, it feels harmonious and yet it is so it's all chaotic. The movement of birds and insects and the trees are all bent and twisted. Some are falling there. Like, you know, there is, there's a graveyard right next to not a graveyard, but a graveyard of trees because they're all falling, they're rotting, and then there are mushrooms growing, and more things are growing, and you see all these things. What a paradox. It looks so harmonious and yet so chaotic at the same time. That's why nature is so beautiful. So, in the same way, everything else, everything is just this one, one focus, one center of experience. And so with the galaxy, that's what we have. We have, um, we see as light, we see as matter, right? Uh, these atoms that were all clumped up, clumped up together in a furnace. So nucleosynthesis could happen, right? In the beginning, we only had uh, hydrogen, not even hydrogen that didn't exist in the beginning. But let's just call hydrogen at certain point of our evolution of the universe. And so all the atoms, hydrogen atoms, which is just one proton and one electron got together and they said, we're having so much fun, let's bring up the heat. <laughs> Literally, the furnace of stars began. That's all in the beginning of the galaxy, right? We have multiple stars because it's all atoms, it's all energy, it's all movement, it's all light. And it starts to move and it dances and it gets all together and suddenly because of this attraction this beautiful attraction of all the atoms of uh, hydrogen a series of reaction happen where nucleosynthesis is um, is generated and suddenly we have helium there is liberation of photons which is what we call light out of the sun and now we have helium we have a hydrogen bomb in space producing helium. And it'll continue to do this for billions of years, perhaps millions of years if it's a massive star and it needs to go supernova because it's so excited to eject all this mass that it has created. It goes into a certain uh, different periods in which it's 
just burning helium and then carbon and so on until it reaches iron and just blows up itself and it creates all the other elements because in that explosion of supernova something happens and then we have all the other elements gold and uranium and so on and all of this goes out and it coalesces again and it brings up all this mess and it creates planets and these planets is where we are right now that is the origin that we have for the universe stars blowing up so it can share all its bounty that it created at the center so it can create other stars and these stars will going we're going to have these um i kind of skipped that step because <laughs> a star that goes supernova which by the way they they don't last as long as our sun uh, these stars just blow up and um, in a fraction of the lifetime of a regular star calling a regular star something like the sun which is billions of years this is star can go supernova in a matter of 700 million years or something like that depending on the mass and so why does it do this because it makes sense it just blows up and it has all this um, material now in which new stars can be born and so we have helium again attracting because helium not helium hydrogen and that creates a star and all the other parts how marvelous that it um, it forms into solid planets like planet Earth, right? Uh, so if you didn't catch that, the sun is the sun <laughs> of a, uh, another star that blew up. And actually it has sisters because that star was so massive that it created these suns that we have in the neighborhood. And we can associate that with the... Um, the archetypical mind and how it's um, you know it's a it's a family of stars that share the same archetypical mind slightly twisted or change you know for different experiences but that's it you know that's that's the process of um, of a galaxy creating stars and stars and stars and more stars and the more stars they blow the more other stars can grow and more planets and so on so why am I mentioning all of this I don't know, because I got excited. <laughs> Ross says, in the case of the galactic system, the first manifestation of the Logos is a cluster of central systems, stars, which generate the outward swirling energies producing in their turn further energy centers for the Logos, or what you call stars. That's a way of saying <laughs> what I explained. You know, in the beginning, there's just this massive uh, amount of light being generated. Uh, from uh, from the one original logos and that starts spreading each one in a galaxy right in all galaxies at the same time then Don says central original creations of cluster we call stars and yes this is correct however the closer to the beginning of the manifestation of the logos the star is the more it partakes in the one original thought so Let's explore the original thought, the one original thought. And we'll have our model complete for today. Don says in question 10, why does this partaking in the original thought have a gradient radially, radially outward? That's the way I understand your statement. Ra explains that this is the plan of the one infinite creator, 
The one original thought is the harvest of all previous, if you would use this term, experience of the creator by the creator. As it decides to know itself, it generates itself into that plenum, once again, that beautiful word, full of the glory and the power of the one infinite creator, which is manifested to your perceptions as space or outer space. Each generation of this knowing begets a knowing which has the capacity through free will to choose methods of knowing itself. So we're getting really, really deep here uh, now with um, the end of, of this video. So why? Why does it um, partake in the, the one original thought in a um, gradient and outward? Why, why does it do that? Why not experience itself in just one place? Here's what seems interesting to me. I'll explain what I see and then we'll reread this because there is more. So there is the, what we call the beginning, the first experience of the original thought. The original thought is simply the, the thought of knowing itself, the creator, knowing itself. I will know myself through what I have learned so far. And so Ra says that is the harvest of all previous octaves. So in essence is the creator's knowledge of itself now in a new method of knowing itself. Okay, so it's a, it's a new play, it's a new imagination, it's a new game that it's wanting to play with what it has learned so far. At that point is where the universe is born, this octave of creation, which has different archetypes or specific archetypes like the mind, body, uh, spirit was part of that harvest. It, know, it knew itself as, oh, this is efficient. Um, it also learned about matrix, potentiator and significator as part of this mind, body and spirit. Uh, I think gender was another thing that came out of the previous octave. There are many things that Ra has said here. Uh, and I don't know if they say it in the, the next um, sessions, but I'm throwing it out there anyways. So all of this is part of the, the mind of the creator when it wants to know itself through this new octave. Now this begins in uh, locus points, right? Which is this, this foci, this focuses of galaxies, all of them spread out in the universe in what we call space and time. And it starts having experiences, right? The mind, body, spirit. What do we know about the galaxy here? Um, we know that this octave started with no veil. And so all the experiences at the beginning or the center of the galaxy were without a veil. All third density was there without a veil. Suddenly, the experiment began with the veil. And so the creator could experience itself through third density with a veil. And this happened over time, what we call time. 
different star systems that tested this and it kept moving forward because new star systems are born outwardly you see so it's like the younger generation is outside the not properly but that's in general that's the way it is and that's why it spreads at the beginning in the center we have the oldest experiences right and so it moves outwardly that's why um let's reread what ross said again keep in mind that model the beginning stages of a galaxy has the uh, primitive if i could use that term primitive experiences of the creator with the archetypical mind that it had and all the biases that it created from the previous harvest um, so all of that starts with a primitive sort of mind and then it starts knowing itself more through this uh, archetypes and this biases and suddenly it starts creating something completely new and here we are on planet earth you see at the end of the uh, spiral arm of the galaxy we're experiencing this the creator is experiencing this right now okay so ross says this is the plan of the one infinite creator it makes sense yes the one original thought is the harvest of all all previous experience of all previous experience of the creator by the creator okay that's pretty good um, so far it's the creator manifesting in this universe or manifesting this universe to experience itself with the previous biases okay so as it decides to know itself it generates itself into that plenum all right here we go galaxies are born um, which is manifested to your perceptions as space or outer space there you go the plenum is what we call space each generation of this knowing right each generation of this knowing each star begets a knowing which has the capacity through free will to choose methods of knowing itself stars you see and galaxies and themselves too these are systems of experiencing the creator experiencing itself now let's move on to what they say next and finally <clears throat> they say <clears throat> therefore gradually step by step the creator becomes that which may know itself and the portions of the creator partake less purely in the power of the original word or thought this is for the purpose of refinement of the one original thought the creator does not properly create as much as it experiences itself uh that last phrase is beautiful especially because it has a huge huge connotation which is going i'm i'm going to leave it for the conclusions but first let me finish this off oh i love this okay so gradually step by step the creator becomes that which may know itself because it knew itself already right it begins the exploration with what it knows about itself, but why does it want to experience the old octave again? No, it wants to experience what it has created already into new experiences. So it starts with what it knows. Okay, this is what I know. Let's continue this experience. And let's find out more ways to intensify the way I live myself. See, my imagination. Let me strengthen my imagination that's what the creator is doing 
So keep that in mind, please. Because at that point, it must get lost. It cannot remember itself. Otherwise, it loses experience. This is what was discovered in prevail conditions. Where it was just, oh, it's boring. I know who I am. I know who you are because it's just the same thing. And just, there's no potentiality there. You see? So it loses itself. And so the more experiences it has, the more the, gal the galaxies grow outwardly, the less it partakes in the power of the original thought. See, less purely it partakes in the power of the original thought or word. They both refer to that one thought of, hey, I will know myself with this which I have learned. But you need to continue to um, limit yourself. That's, that's the whole dynamic of this creation. It's about limitation, limiting yourself, feeling a separate being. So you feel a separate being. And that's why the return, which is the spiritual path, <laughs> we're in evolution, right? So we, we're not to be stuck in separation. Most people are, but that's because they, they're missing the point. That's why they're called sinners. <laughs> they miss the point. A sin is to miss the mark. That's what it means. So most people are sinners. <laughs> but no worries, because Jesus will come here and redeem or save all the sinners. Yes, Christ consciousness will come in here, and it's coming, and is causing this great awakening. Ah, oh, everything can be explained so beautifully. So again, uh, that's the we're talking about the dynamics of infinite awareness experiencing itself through the creation the creation of limitation the creation of separation um, and so of course when they say this is something that i think it has been misunderstood in some um some people that i have heard talking about it uh, maybe i mean i'm not saying that i have the right answer here but the way i perceive it is that um the original thought because it says like the more the creator the creator becomes let me read it again gradually step by step the creator becomes that which may know itself okay it becomes more of a separate being so it can know itself and the portions of the creator right the portions of the creator partake less purely in the power of the original word of thought that power of the original thought is i will know myself well, obviously, I know myself at the beginning. So I need to get lost in separation so I can know myself better. And I can have experience. The veiling of consciousness, you can call it. Not the veiling of third density, but the veiling of consciousness, aware of itself. And so now it's lost. And it continues, continues, continuously gets lost more and more. So that's why it takes less, it takes part... Uh, less uh, purely with the original thought. The original thought is, I know myself, I want to know myself more. See, this is for the purpose of refinement of the one original thought, right? How can I know myself, know, know more things about myself and better ways to experience? Because it's not about knowing myself, it's about knowing myself 
through finity. That's another key distinction that is important to make. It's not about knowing yourself because awareness knows itself. Okay, hooray. That's great. Is that the end, the end of it? The end of evolution? I'm stuck now here in trends forever? No. Knowing yourself is through distortions. You see, but there is an infinite amount of distortions, so I need to go explore them, and that's what I'm doing, says the creator. So this is the purpose of refine this is for the purpose of refinement of the one original thought. Now the creator does not properly create as much as it experiences itself. So who creates? Conclusions. Who is the creator if it's not creating? It's a paradox there. It seems to experience itself more, as says Ra. Well, let me just say again, this is my attempt of explaining this. And I find it so beautifully uh, expressed here because my point of view, my own experience is that the creator is just awareness. Okay, <laughs> such a beautiful interplay here. The creator is just awareness. We called it intelligent infinity, discerning a concept of infinity, becoming aware of itself. So that, that's what we are, all of us. And yet, in the concept of infinity, there is a birth to an entity. See, intelligent infinity is not an entity. It simply is intelligent infinity. It's the source of all things. But every entity is a finite portion of that infinity. And so it is the entity who creates. That's you. And yet your source is infinite. I feel like if I keep talking, it's just going to ruin the moment. Just contemplate that for a second. Your source is infinity, intelligent infinity. What you are as a manifested being or entity is the creator. You see, is the creator manifested as a being, as an entity, in order to experience itself, and thus it's the creator. It's a play of words, I have to say. But if you get in touch with yourself, with the call it intelligent infinity, God, quantum field, whatever. It's you. It's what you call you, but you're ignoring in favor of uh, phenomenon, phenomenal experience. That's okay. It's part of being the creator, getting lost in its own thoughts, in its own imagination. This is the dynamic of becoming manifested and wanting to return 
because once you return, you want to come back. <laughs> once you come back, you want to go back to return to source and so on. It's a, it's a beautiful fluctuation between being and not being. That's what the creation is. So, all right, that's all I got today. Uh, we went all the way to question 10, which I wanted to cover, and that's why the episode is a little bit longer than usual. Well, not usual. I don't think I have a standard here, <laughs> but it should be close to the hour. Um, I hope this was helpful to you. This was uh, interesting at the very least. Uh, this is this is very inspirational, This this material because it contains all of this um, view of the creation and it's very inspiring. Um, but we did have a question where it was all about uh, the disciplines of the personality and we'll, we'll talk more about that. But that's all I got for today. I'll probably cover this in three parts. If you like this content, please consider subscribing to my Patreon where you can support this and other videos that I make, my whole work in general, um, or visit me on Instagram and check what I'm doing there, which is something that will help me as well. I have nothing else to say, but thank you very much for listening as always, and I'll see you in part two of session 82.